Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Yo, what's up, Sam? Oh, you just gonna interrupt me because we just so excited to talk to each other. I totally get it. I totally get it. Let me make let me let you go first. What's up, Sam? How you doing, man? What's happening? Not much, man. We good. Uh I just asked a question and answered it all in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but uh on today's episode, really excited to have Gabs Landman. Gabs is the VP of AR for Warner Records. She's a Forbes, th- uh, she was on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. She also manages various artists. Uh, currently is managing Amy Allen, the singer-songwriter. Uh, she also played a pretty strong role as a day-to-day manager and was there for the ascent of Dua Lipa. So I think she's got tons of really great gems to share. What do you think, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things I think people should take from this. One is how to really support artists. I think the way that she does it, matchmaking musicians and and the additional support that she provides, it's a very certain type of A&R that I think people should uh, grow to get to know in case they also want to go down that route themselves. Uh, we talk about how to win as an artist and kind of what attracts her to the artists that she works with. Um, and on that note, we talked about what attracts ARs to people's music, uh, in her opinion, gaining A&R traction. And we also talked about generally the the infrastructure for an AR team and how to be a great AR. So I think that you know if you're an artist that kind of wants to somehow get their name out there and be discovered by ARs, uh, but also if you want to be an AR yourself, I think this is a super dope episode to listen to. One thousand percent. We also one other thing I really liked was the comparison is to uh, Dua Lipa and Gucci Mane. So I, I think uh, <laughs> watch out for that. <laughs> really good gems in this episode. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Gabs, thank you so much for virtually coming out. We really appreciate it here on the Music Business Podcast. We know it's it's a tough, it's been a tough, rough year for everyone, and really appreciate the time you took to come out to to speak to us. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So I guess just for starters, um, in in a short like one two minute elevator pitch, um, what was kind of like your first big break in the music industry? I know a lot of people that we that we that listen to this podcast are are kind of wondering, and I know a lot of people that are in the music industry are are also wondering. It seems like everyone has a different route to the music industry. Um, I think mine was twofold. The first thing that happened was I was working as a day-to-day manager to do Alifa for a couple of years. Mm. Um, and that was an incredible, um, you know, way of seeing someone really go from their first stages to global right. superstardom. Right. And then the second was in signing and managing Amy Allen and working with her from when she wrote back to you for Selena Gomez to without me for Halsey and adore you with Harry Styles and kind of playing a role in a lot of those releases. Um, so those were kind of like, with, I would say, equally as influential in my career. Right. Pretty big, uh, pretty big way to join the music industry. My, <laughs> my, mine is I interned at a couple places and then, and then I eventually oh got a job. Yeah. No, Jordan, don't tell yourself <laughs> short, bro. Over those days. I'm like, oh, are you kidding that? It just yeah. happened. I'm like, no, I spent years interning and I was in a <laughs> for a while. Just like cut to the good bits. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Super cool. So I, I think A&R is, is interesting because I think the stereotypical perception of A&R is that the sole responsibility is to like find and sign new talent. But I think what doesn't tend to get as much shine is that a lot of the A&R job is really around matchmaking and helping existing and signed artists actually create good music, getting the right producers to team up with the right, like you even before the show said, you got a favorite like songwriter. Um, and it's really trying to like create these like perfect teams and get a song from like point from like one to a hundred. So from your perspective, like how much of your time is focused on finding artists versus like helping signed artists create amazing music? It's funny you ask that because my background um, is probably a bit different to a lot of major label A&Rs. I come from music publishing a mm. And so for most of my career, I was signing and developing songwriters and setting up collaborations for them with major label artists. And this is my first time kind of on the other side. And I was hired um, in large part due to those rights to producer relationships. So while I do sign and discover talent and I've built my own roster, my roster is smaller in size so that I have the time and attention and bandwidth to work across the roster, especially with developing and newer acts who are kind of finding their go-to collaborators and setting up those collaborations and trying to help people find their teams. And I love that you said matchmaker because that's kind of what I consider myself um, mm. professionally. It's, it's honestly my favorite part is, um, just especially if you introduce two creatives who keep working together for a long time, it's the best feeling ever that you can play kind of a small role in that way. Right, right. So yeah. um, in addition to matchmaking, I'm, you know, I know a few A&Rs that are also highly involved in like the creative process. They're actually like in the studio with the artists. How much of what you do is also incorporating your knowledge of just music in general into their work, or is it mostly um, kind of the matchmaking process, like you were saying? I think it really depends on the A&R person. For me personally, mm. I don't have any formal music training. I can't play any instruments. I don't know music theory. I can't produce. And right. so I feel it would almost be inappropriate or overstepping. Like, who am I to tell someone who does this every day what they should be doing? What I do think I can offer is that at my core, I am a music fan. Right. And I kind of always say to them, this is my civilian perspective. Like just <laughs> as a music lover who doesn't know anything technical, I think these things could be improved. And, you know, for a long time when I was starting out, I thought I had to use technical language and I was saying sentences I didn't even understand and made <laughs> sense. And mm. now, just you know, I speak literally in the most layman's terms ever, but people understand me and I won't chime in unless I feel pretty strongly about something, but you know, that can be mixed notes. It can be notes for a producer. It might even be that I think a specific lyric isn't quite articulating the message enough. But um, if I feel really strongly that something could be improved, I always chime in. I have um, colleagues who are incredible and have this great technical knowledge and were formerly producers. Some of them still are, and they bring a different type of value because I think their roster wants that from them. So I always just try to fill in, depending on the project, as needed. One of my artists, Mikey, he writes, produces, mixes everything himself. And so, you know, I can tell him if I like a song or not, if there's something I feel particularly like it needs to change, I will. But I don't think it would be right for me with zero music training to 
be kind of like directing his creativity. It's also just like less stressful when you do that. I imagine that when you're using terminology, you may not understand if somebody were to ask you about why you articulated yourself that way, you kind of like have your foot in your mouth. And I've, I've had the same, I've had the same uh, inclination, right? Like you're speaking with people that you hold in such high regard. It's like, okay, I'm in the room. I have to say something uh, super intelligent in order to be on their level, or I have to meet them where they are as an artist. But sometimes it's literally like, hey, that chord right there, it just sounds off. It doesn't sound, it doesn't sound yeah. like it works with the rest of the, with the rest of the song or something like that. I also think there's other ways you can be helpful, you know, pulling mm-hmm. together references or introducing them to music they might not know. I actually think I'm at an advantage sometimes being international because there's so many great artists and albums that didn't necessarily um, gain mainstream attention over here. And if I can bring that to people's attention that I work with, you know, sometimes that can impact the sounds they use or the way they write a song. So there's loads of different ways to be helpful. And I think it's more about um, going case by case. Every artist is different and kind of figuring out what they actually need from an A&R. Some of them just need a great champion and cheerleader and person who's working with the various departments and getting people excited. And, um, you know, I tend to go to photo shoots and video shoots and try and play a role in the marketing as well, because you know, if I sign someone, it's because I care so deeply and I want to be involved in from beginning to release kind of every aspect of that project. So again, I think it's super personal and people do things differently, but that's just been my approach. Right. Yeah, no, I I love that a lot. And I mean, when it comes to like doubling down there and realize that this will be like a very personal process. But when you look at like matchmaking and you are trying to help liaise and and bring together great teams and matchmaking with regards to like the music creation process, um, kind of what are some of the factors or signals that you're paying attention to that will like, I mean, we could run this full on like metaphorical, like romantic matchmaking. Like what are the different like signals that somebody will be compatible that the team will come together really well? <laughs> um yeah it is similar, how do you make musicians fall in love yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um you know i take into account a lot of different things obviously very important is musical compatibility but i don't like to limit anyone i think that there can be an incredible rap producer who makes a great pop song with an artist that could be someone who traditionally writes country but country so based on lyricism that they could bring something great to a rap project you know I do take into account people's strong suits like are they an incredible lyricist are they amazing with melody producer wise you know do they play instruments are they more programming based but something I hold equally as important is chemistry and personality and so I try to personally meet with as many writers and producers as possible in person so that I can get to know them and kind of anticipate what they might be like in the studio. Um, A lot of the times I will go meet them in their natural habitat as well so I can get a feel for their setup and, um, you know, who's going to get along and make an artist feel comfortable sharing their most personal stories. A lot of the time songs are based on the songwriter or producer. It might not even be the artist's experience. So when you think about it, it's kind of a crazy thing that you can have 
three strangers meet one day and tell each other their deepest, darkest secret and make a song out of it. I don't know another industry like that. I think about that all the time. Like there's all these home studios and I'll be sending an artist to someone's bedroom who they've never met before. And so it's really about making sure everyone feels safe and comfortable and open and vulnerable in a good way, but like they can share and we'll make something interesting. You know, I think it would be very easy to look at the charts and be like, oh, this person's on a run right now. Like, let's try and get my artist in with them because they're the biggest pop producer these days. I'd rather kind of find the next wave of great writers and producers. I really love championing people early in their career. And so it's been really fun on this matchmaking side of things, just getting to meet all these various personalities and try to figure out who would actually want to hang out with each other outside the studio. Because if you get along in that way, even if it's not on your first, second, third time working together, I guarantee at some point you will make something great just by the sheer nature of chemistry. So sorry, that was long winded. (laughs) No, it was great. I actually wrote down a note while you were talking that that was a good clip to cut for Instagram. So (laughs) literally... (laughs) I thought it was good and I did that. So, you know, I usually don't say that on air, but you you know, you thought you were long-winded. I thought it was perfect. <laughs> but um, yeah. But it's funny you say that because I've set up sessions with uh with artists also where the first time they meet, they don't even really like work with each other. <laughs> they just they just yeah. like play video games or like get to know They're each so other. Bad, I'm so happy if someone calls me and it's like we didn't get anything done today. I'm like that right. means they each other exactly and I promise you, at some point they will write something incredible if that's their first time meeting I right. really believe that right especially because I I think I think you're right a, a lot of uh working with working with people in general you, you know in the business as an artist a lot of it is the energy you get from that person but with something that's so close and tied to people's hearts like music the musicians themselves need to be comfortable and vulnerable with the people that they're working with so it's mm-hmm. it's not like a business meeting you can't just go in and be like all right cool so i got some beats man let me show you some beats it's just, yeah. it's like all right so like you know tell me a little bit about yourself and um i try to also replicate that in the business too some people some people are down some people are not <laughs> um cool yeah. so yeah. awesome i'm gonna get back also to to more things about anr but be- you know before we get we get too deep in the conversation i also want to just discuss uh your history with dua lipa and also mm-hmm. the ties um with your experience with her that you that you have with the artists that you're currently championing so um what was kind of like the beginning of that process like being the day-to-day transforming into an anr and what are some mm-hmm. key things that you think um, that she exemplified that are responsible for the success that she's reached today? So I worked at a management company called Tap. And at the mm. time, right when I started, they had one employee, Stella, who was great. And um, Lana Del Rey was their superstar artist. And they had a few things kind of in development. But the company's real main thing was Lana at the time. And I would travel a lot to like Sweden and LA with the developing artists and set up their sessions and matchmake, as, as you guys <laughs> said. Um, and I remember I was in LA and I got a call that Ben Morrison, who runs the company, and Stella had met with an artist. They got referred by her attorney and it was Dua. And they were so blown away by her and were like, we're going to send you some demos. It would be great if you could set up some sessions. 
And one of the first songs she wrote was a song called Hotter Than Hell, which ended up being the song that got her signed to Warner and opened the doors to a lot of other great collaborations. And, you know, I think a lot of the time, there's so many new artists to get them great sessions. There has to be something. It's not even enough to be signed to a label because there are a lot of apps who are signed. Mm. With Zira, it was just so helpful already having an obvious hit song um, because people would hear that and hear her tone. And she already had such an identity that if you looked at her social media, you kind of knew who she was. So I think it just kind of like the case made itself. So when I would hit people up, it was kind of the easiest time I ever had getting someone sessions at that stage <laughs> in my career. Um, people just said yes. And like A-listers who I'd never managed to work with anyone before were like, I'd love to get coffee with her. So it just felt easy. And some of the takeaways I got from that when I was like, how come, you know, Dua is having such an easy go of it, whereas some of the people I'd been really hustling and trying for years weren't having as easy a time. Um, I think that my takeaway was just a few things that set her apart. There are many things that set Dua apart, obviously, but (laughs) even early on in her career, she has the craziest, most distinctive voice. Yeah. She has a very strong brand and identity and direction and vision, and she will outwork anyone. And that has always been the case. And talent matched with that work ethic, there's just no shot it's not going to work out for someone that talented. And, you know, she was in the studio constantly writing, asking what more she could be doing, rehearsing. Like, it wasn't like we were having to beg her to go do stuff. Like, she was coming to us with, like, what more can I do? And it's something that once I'd met her, I saw out in everyone else I work with. Like, I think I've realized now, Mm. unless you have some variation of those three things, it's just not going to happen. And I meet some phenomenal artists who are incredible songwriters and have such a special voice, but they don't know who they are and they don't have a sound. And I'm like, come back to me when you figure it out, because I can't give you vision that's something that needs to come from the artist and I tried so many times previously to do it for people and there were also some artists who had everything but didn't want it hard enough and I think to be a successful artist this really has to be your everything and you need to want it more than anyone on your team and do it always has done so I just will say, you know, we are still friends and we keep in touch. And I've seen how she continues to treat those around her, whether it's the songwriter she works with, the producers, tour manager, lights guy, like she is so graceful and kind to everybody. And that's always made people root for her. Mm-hmm. So um, she deserves everything. Like I'm so happy to see her win time and time again. She deserves it. That's awesome. That. Yeah. Uh, those are some, some rock star qualities. Um, yeah. Jordan, it reminds me of that story you shared me uh, about Gucci Mane. And I never thought I'd really be comparing Dua Lipa and Gucci <laughs> Mane, but you should share that story. Yeah, I was um, I was at Coachella a couple years ago with a client of mine, and Gucci Mane was doing an event with him. And uh, Gucci would not remember this because it was very brief. Um, but he came to the event Got out of the car, of course, limo, whatever it was, Uber, 
Uber XL limbo. and smiled at everybody limbo. and then went. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was a huge limo said burr on the right side. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um he's he smiled. I, I think all of us, you know, when you see someone like Gucci Man that we all had such respect for, everyone was kind of sitting there looking at him. And he and he went around and was like, Hey, how you doing? Like, what's up? How you doing? Hey, I'm Gucci. And I was like, Wow, that's actually that's awesome that somebody felt the need to do that. I had the experience with that with uh with Travis Scott a few years back too, I was I was backstage with a client with a show who was uh who had a show with Travis Scott, and uh, I was the only one in the room that wasn't the man. Everybody else was super high in at what they do, like all these executives back there, all these agents. I was assistant at the time, and Travis actually walked up to me to shake my hand. So obviously, when there's things like that that happen, you want those people to win um, because yeah. they also show humility. And they humanize everyone around them. There's no like condensation. There's no I'm better than you. It's all just you're a person in the room experience having this experience with me. Like, uh, you know, let's enjoy it together, sort of type thing. So, yeah, when I was interning at Billboard ages ago, I had to transcribe an interview with Chris Anacute, who was Katy Perry's A and R, and he was talking about she would come into the office every day, know everyone's names, intern, assistant, it doesn't matter who, be like, how's your three-year-old, blah, blah, blah. Like just (laughs) make sure she knew everything. And I'm like, it's so smart to make every person root for you. Because think about how many people you come into contact who then go out there and are like, Katy Perry's the best person. We want her to win. Like it's just a smart way to conduct yourself. And I would hope people are genuinely just that great of humans. I know that's true in Dua's case, and I've heard the same about Katie. I'm sure Gucci and Travis Scott. (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah, it's just, you know, there's no reason not to be good to human beings you meet as an artist, but um, it can feel really special when someone goes out of their way to do that. Right, right. As we get kind of deeper, actually, into qualities of of what make like a successful artist, um, it'd be great to like talk about that explicitly. Like, what are some qualities that you think help artists on their trajectory to superstardom, if that's where they're destined? Um, you know, both human human aspects of them, kind of like what we've talked about, but also uh, work ethic, obviously, things in that realm, and also like you know, is there is there a sound that you think is more particular to to superstardom, any anything that you may think is relevant to um, to kind of people on their journey. Um, I don't think a sound necessarily. What I more think is important is that whatever they're doing is so distinctive. If you heard it, you would mm-hmm. know it's that. You don't need to shazam, like you know. Mm-hmm. And I think various genres have, you know, people who are winning in each genre have that quality to them. Like you know, a Tame Impala song, you know, Rihanna's voice. Like it's just, you know it's just so clear sonically. And I think if you have an identity that is equally as strong, where it's just like so distinguishable um, simultaneously, that's kind of everything. Those two, and again, work ethic, like those are like my top three things. Um, Being open-minded, I think is incredibly important. And obviously, you know, Artists and human beings in general have the right to say no, but I think it's about making thoughtful decisions and really considering options is super important. You know, even if it's about some, you know, I remember I was trying to get an artist to work with this really great producer in LA and she looked at his Wikipedia and she was like, no, he worked with Paris Hilton. And I'm like, 
Yes, <laughs> he's amazing. Trust me. And I actually, it's kind of a joke, but not, I have like a coupon system with some of the people I work with, where if they just trust me on something they were skeptical about and it works out, I get a coupon where they have to do that again. Um, So it's kind of like a way to um, get people to keep having some faith that I'm not just setting them up for some random uh, situation. But yeah, I think having, again, an open mind, a really strong desire where it's like there is no plan b there's nothing else you want to do it's this or nothing like you would be lost without music um because there is just so much competition it's also a very hard and grueling job and like if Mm -hmm. you don't want it enough you're not going to be able to put up with it it's not just touring it's promo it's constant press repeating the same things over and over again you're recording hours of liners like there's just stuff people maybe don't think about that right um an artist is doing every day that gets really exhausting um lack of sleep you have to be singing very very often you know there's just there is more to it than just collecting awards and hanging out with celebrities. So um, I met with an artist a few years ago and I asked them what they want, like what what was the sound they were going after? What was their ultimate goal? And she said, I don't care. I just want to be famous. And I'm like, I can't. You should go on reality TV. <laughs> you know, like this is not, it's just not what we can do. The days of manufacturing pop stars are behind us. So mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are kind of like the main things I would say. I love that. Uh, those are some incredible factors when it does come to your time. And then I know in the early on, we were diving a lot into the matchmaking side. What, mm-hmm. I mean, is a significant amount of your time focused on discovery of new artists? Uh, yeah, I, I'll be honest. I don't like actively speaking out acts. I'm not good at it. It's not what I I'm talented at mm-hmm. what does happen is people will think of me if a project makes sense and like you know a music lawyer might hit me up and say I've just taken on a client I think you'd like or ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, a lot of PROs hit me up, publishing companies um, and people who I trust will tell me about something. I personally make most of my discoveries by word of mouth just because by nature it's just not who I am kind of like looking at data and I'm really fortunate because I work for a label that allows me to sign things because I think they're great. And some of the things I've signed don't have a big following, have never had a viral moment, aren't selling out shows, but they are just so unique and tick the boxes we just discussed. And I'm like, I have to work with them. And um, I think my boss, Aaron Bashak, who's the chairman of Warner, his success came from developing and signing Bruno Mars. And he signed Bruno when Bruno really didn't have anything going on. And he saw how that turned out. And so he's always very encouraging of if you like wholeheartedly believe in something and are passionate and convinced, you know, he'll always hear you out and often will agree, which is great. Um, so, I mean, I just, I do things a bit differently um, that, you know, a lot of my colleagues are on TikTok and looking at Spotify viral charts and SoundCloud and all manner of different ways of tracking new apps. And if they bring something up to me, I'll always listen. And I think that I kind of have like a 
good enough discerning ear to tell when something out of a group is like unique and worth exploring but the actual discoverer is not really my thing yeah no that's fascinating and really interesting and i mean i think um I mean, word of mouth is powerful and just being able to lean on a lot of the, the equity and trust you have with the people around you. And um, if you do that well and at some level of like scale, I mean, I'm sure there's still you're still getting a fair amount of inbound with regards to, hey, check this out, check that mm-hmm. out to, to be able to discern. Yeah. Um, as far as that process of discernment, I mean, whether or not like. I mean, if say you have a bunch of recommendations, what are the other factors? I know you you kind of spoke from uh, your your previous experience with regards to experience, uh, factors as it pertains to what's really going to make an artist truly pop off, or some of those intangibles. From a, a evaluation standpoint, with regards to different artists you'll sign or songwriters you want to match make, what are, I mean, let's even mm-hmm. dial in just on the artists you'd want to sign. What are some of the, the the key factors that you're looking to evaluate other than some of the stuff you've mentioned? I know you've mentioned uh, kind of having consistency and a unique sound, these other intangibles. Are there other key factors that are top of mind that our listeners can think about? I really love working with storytellers and I pay a lot of attention to lyrics. Um, there's so many ways to describe a single emotion and so many emotions to describe, which means there's just like hundreds of thousands of ways to um, describe a feeling everybody has been through. And I think music is so unique because someone could write a song about their dog and people listen to it and it reminds them of their boyfriend. And, you know, it's just, you take out of it some, you know, everyone feels something different from it, but um, I always try to listen out for stuff that just I have a real a real emotional response to. And um, I guess like my favorite artists who I listen to and who I work with kind of have that to them. And it means that I'm personally drawn to a lot of people in the more singer-songwriter lane naturally by that virtue. So, um, yeah. That's that's kind of something super important to me. I think production is important, but we can work on that together and I could find the right person or, mm-hmm. you know, um, again, some people handle that themselves, which is amazing. Um, but I'm personally like very driven by lyricism. So if if you match that with like a crazy sound and voice, and then I meet, I spend a lot of time with my signings because I want to make sure that A, um, they have kind of a quality that's going to make people uh, invested in them, but also that just like matchmaking them with a producer, they need to get on with me. And I need to feel like if right. they're meeting at 2 a.m., I'm not going to be annoyed. And I love my acts so much and the people that I work with that it doesn't bother me when they reach out to me like that. And I want to make sure that that's kind of my feeling with people um, on my roster always where there's going to be good times and bad in anyone's career. But I want to make sure that it's people that even in the low points will be okay and be able to get through it together. And that's kind of a personality and chemistry thing even on our end. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, and I, I love those points. How much does existing traction play play into it? Because what if somebody has a lot of those different core elements of their story? But I mean, yeah, like, are you paying attention to that? Or are you just focused more on a lot of these kind of like 
mer- the merit side of actual like music quality and like artist quality and less focus on existing traction? It's definitely a bit of both. Like I said, I've signed people who have zero traction, but I just really believe in them. I think right now there are more resources than ever to get heat for yourself as an artist. And so it definitely is more impressive to me and a good indicator if they have some sort of fan base. It's not the most important thing. If someone's really exceptional, I know that that will come. But, you know, there are so many different ways to get, if your song is really incredible, I believe right now it's music is such a meritocracy where really special things just do go viral a lot of the time on their own. And that's why we don't know how to make things go viral or emulate that because you can't really force it. It really is just for the most part, um, really special, talented people um, doing that. So obviously that is important. A lot of the time, if there is kind of like a data story, it's still, there's an element of gut to it. You have to listen to it and meet the artist and ensure that it's something you feel strongly about and isn't just going to be kind of a flash in the pan moment. Um, But, you know, there's so many different ways to stand out. There could be an artist who's just selling, not in the pandemic, but a crazy amount of tickets locally or um, has kind of like gained... Some, some of the artists I've met with, it happens because writers and producers who I know call me and are like, I've just worked with this new person. They have nothing going on, but you need to check them out. Like they're the best person I've ever met. You know, Amy, who I was telling you, the songwriter and artist who I manage, um, she worked with Scott Harris, one of her first sessions. And Scott um, writes all of Shawn Mendes songs with him. He has credits with Taylor Swift, Dua Lipa, like everybody. And Scott worked with Amy and I called him afterwards just to kind of be like, you work with everyone. How would you rate her? Like, do you think I should sign her? And he said, she's the best unsigned writer he's ever met. And I was like, that's it. I'm sold. So um, there's just so many. Sorry, again, I keep going on tangents, but there's so many <laughs> different lanes to get an A&R's attention. Um, I think it's just easier than ever to to gain a following right now if it's, if it's the right time to do so. Right. Which actually, first of all, not a tangent, all relevant, took another note. (laughs) Second of all, (laughs) um, that actually is a great segue into the next part of the conversation that I want to talk about, which is, um, you know, how do people get the attention of A&Rs respectfully? Obviously, being in your DMs isn't the right way. We already know about that. Uh, Tagging Mm -hmm. you on stuff. People have tagged me on Instagram videos that they release. Obviously, that's not the right way. Um, you know, my naive approach right now would be to not try to get the attention of ANRs. This is what I feel like um, before you before you even answer it. It's it's more so do your thing and the ANRs will come. Is kind of it's kind of how I, I've interpreted. It. But mm-hmm. is there a way other than that to actually get responsible, respectful contact with ANRs? I really think it's always case by case. There are some A&R people who listen to everything they receive. Um, I don't know how they do that, but there are people who do. Um, I really, really believe that artists need to focus less on reaching out to A&R people and more on reaching out to the general public and getting fans on board. That's who you need to be enlisting and commenting and 
targeting, not A&R people. Because if you have fans, A&Rs are going to find you. I didn't know a lot of stories of people making it because they hit up an A&R person. Like, it's just like, it's not really a thing. And I know that that can sound disheartening, but I think it's the opposite. It's like, maybe back in the day, you had to stand and hand out CDs outside a major label. You don't have to do that anymore. You can stay at home and make the best music ever and focus on marketing yourself online and gaining traction and forget A&R people. It's going to feel way better when they're begging you to meet. So I don't know. I think it's just kind of a different perspective. It's figuring out who you're trying to enlist to your profile. I would be targeting like regular people. Yeah, I also think it's a it's a little bit um, more genuine when you do things like that. One, one because you're attracting people that are actually into you for you. There's no like... There's no um, stake in it. The people that are going to be attracted to you like your music and make experiences and memories with your music. And that's going to feel better uh, off the bat than before you release a record trying to get the attention of ANRs for some sort of validation as well. Um, And I think that's super strong, especially when you're starting out to to feel like that too. Um, The power and the confidence that I think you get when you get respect from an audience and a group of people is uh you know unlike any other because the ANRs that's all they're trying to do anyway in the first place is <laughs> to get is to get you in front of the right people that are going to consume your music so if you're able to do that at least a little bit on your own at first it's much easier to to rev up the engine after it's been started than to like kind of get somebody to do it for you and and like you said I, you know and this is me kind of like spitting back what you said to us earlier back to you because i'm learning in real time but um it, but like you said you know artists have to have visions and i think yeah. that when you're able to connect with listeners with a strong brand um with with a with a group of people that genuinely like you for the things that you've already done it kind of shows that vision off the bat you know what i mean Definitely. I think a lot of the newer artists we see going number one on iTunes or going viral, especially during this pandemic, I'm always like, who is that person? Like, I've literally <laughs> never heard of them. And I go look at that page and they have hundreds of, and of thousands of fans and they aren't on industry radar yet. That ha- that happens when they peak to that extent. But it's right. because they actually built a real fan base of people rooting for them so that when they post and say, help me get this to number one, people are going out of their way. They want to feel like they helped break their favorite new artists and they they have the stake in it fans do so um i just think it's way more exciting when someone is uh making things happen for themselves absolutely absolutely um i want to kind of pivot also to to the anr um less about the anr process and the infrastructure around anr um so Mm -hmm. for people who don't know how kind of was what are the options uh, that an A&R team, how, how can an A&R team be structured? And also mm-hmm. kind of what is it like sharing ideas with other A&Rs? How do A&Rs work together uh, for people who kind of only see them in isolation? Well, that's two kind of things. One is doing A&R at a publishing company, which I've done in the past. And one is doing A&R at a major label. Mm-hmm. Right now, major label-wise, um, at Warner, it's kind of unique because Aaron, who's our chairman, is also the head of A&R. So mm-hmm. I rep- I'm an A&R and I report directly in to Aaron. 
Um, and so there's kind of Aaron and then there's some senior A&R executives. Then there's kind of a bunch of standalone A&Rs who have their own roster and projects. And we have a team of coordinators and assistants who help out. Um, there's a department which is more focused on research, which is like we discussed, you know, things are going viral and data stories. Um, in a publishing company, it's a bit different. You know, there are some A&R people who are purely focused on songwriters and producers and some who sign exclusively artists. And then there are people that do both. But infrastructure wise, it's pretty similar. I would say the difference is at most labels and publishing companies that is kind of ahead of A&R. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate to have that be Aaron who's running the company because he just has uh, first-hand knowledge of the projects that the label is working. And it, Aaron is involved in literally every project on the label. He hears every song that's coming out. He chimes in where needed. Like, it's just really amazing having someone that experienced and who's played a hand in so many hit songs and has this expertise chiming in on everything. So right. again, it's, it's different at each company, but that's kind of how we do it at Warner. Right. That's cool. awesome. And then, I mean, I know like your experience, you, you've kind of been on both sides of the table with regards to management as well as label, mm-hmm. like just candidly from your perspective as a professional in the industry, what have been some of the pros or what have been some of the things you've liked and maybe not have liked on, on both sides of the equation? And what, what are you kind of grateful for with regards to the, the role and opportunity now? Um, I mean, uh, I work with uh, a manager called Zach Gerka. He he manages Scott Harris and he publishes Amy Allen. And Zach said something to me once about his job. He's very close with his roster. And he said to me, 99% of the time, it's incredible. 1% of the time being friends with them is a nightmare, but it's worth it for the 99% of the time that's the best. And I kind of feel that way about everything in my job, where it's like the best thing ever for me to describe cons would be just like ungrateful because I'm so fortunate to work in um, my dream kind of industry and a Mm -hmm. creative role and with artists who I'm a huge fan of. Um, It's, I would say kind of like the downside is I genuinely have the worst work-life balance ever. (laughs) kind of my own fault to be honest but um I've just I haven't really done a good job of setting boundaries of like hey guys I'm putting my phone in the other room tonight you know like I'm just I go to bed with my phone under my pillow I'm sure that's bad for me for 20 different reasons (laughs) but um I'm very very accessible and I kind of live for the job and my best friends work in music so it's like if we hang out in our free time we're still talking about work Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a good, it's a good and bad thing, but there are definitely times where I'm like, I wish I just had like a bit of me time. I want to go read, you know? So, yeah. um, that's just kind of my own fault. And especially in management, that is kind of an on-call job where, um, Amy can and should hit me up when, she, whenever she needs to. So, um, again, that kind of just lends itself to having a different type of lifestyle in general and I'm very very fortunate because I teamed up with an incredible co-manager on Amy Mm -hmm. I work with Jonathan Eshack of Mick Management he manages Maggie Rogers Leon Bridges he managed John Mayer for 12 years like he's like the best 
And so because we work in tandem, I kind of have like way less on my plate than I would have. And um, it's just been a great partnership. In terms of just pros and cons on the label side, I think it's it's definitely hard to say no because I meet a lot of incredible people, but not everyone is ready for a label deal. And it can be really heartbreaking meeting someone whose dream this is and knowing it's not quite the right time for them to be having this conversation or that they need to put more work into it. I don't want to, I never want to be like the Simon Cowell saying no to people. Um, And so that can be kind of tough. And um, like we touched upon earlier, when we receive songs, very often they're people's personal experiences and stories. And I, you know, I have a tough time also chiming in uh, on occasion criticizing a song or saying, I don't really think this one's good enough to put out when I right. know it's really personal to somebody. So it's just being cautious of people's emotions and trying to be compassionate, which again, my cons, I think are actually good things when you really uh, drill down. Like, I think it's a good thing to care about people's feelings, but sometimes it can feel like a disadvantage. Right. And it also kind of goes with, uh, you know, someone was just asking me the other day, because I had a pretty long work day the other day. And um, I had long work days when I was an artist manager in particular. Um, mm-hmm. and it's also a little bit difficult. A con is, you know, work-life balance, but the pro is there's something that you would want to work that hard for, right? <laughs> like you you wouldn't be so hungry to to work as much as you do and to to help as much as you want to help if this was something that you weren't passionate about. So it's, it's sort of like balancing something you're extremely passionate about with like just being a human. Um, but you yeah. know, there are bigger problems. You could have also, you know, worked equally as much for something you hated because <laughs> there are a lot right. of people that do that, you know, 100%. Absolutely. it's funny. I took like one vacation last year and it was with Amy. So <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of says it all. So um, yeah. Yeah, it happens. It happens. So I guess as we close out here, like, I'm kind of wondering, in your opinion, what mm-hmm. separates or what allows an ANR to graduate from being a good ANR to a great ANR? What do you kind of separate? What do you kind of think separates the two? I think it's really tempting to sign a bunch of things and hope one of them sticks. But to me, the best A&Rs have kind of like a small focused roster that they can really interact with every day and really bring value to an incredible, tremendous focus on the things that they're working on rather than just kind of like hoping that one of 20 things takes off. It's really difficult um, as it is to break an artist. And I don't think that's going to happen with half an A&R's attention. So definitely just being selective and having a lot of focus on what you're doing and devoting yourself to it. And same as being an artist, making sure this is exactly what you want to do, because it's not the easiest thing in the world. I really think you have to be kind of obsessed with it to do it all the time. Um, uh, We spend a lot of our days kind of like pitching things, pitching artists, pitching songs. And that means that you're constantly selling something and you have to be on all the time. And so that can be kind of draining on occasion. And it helps if you genuinely believe in what you're talking about. And I think that's why it's so important to only work on projects that you really, really care about and are a fan of and do it for the right reasons. Um, And yeah, just 
have a really discerning ear. That's when I was young in A and R meetings, I just wanted people to know I was hungry. So I'd just be like, Yeah, I, I love that. Let me talk to them. Now it's kind of the opposite. <laughs> you know, I'm just like I'm very quiet and very rarely and I'm like, actually I would like to be introduced to that person because um again, I just like to keep it small and more focused. Right. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much for virtually coming out. Um, this you. was a great conversation. Um, yeah, I took took mad notes on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, super glad to have you. Thank you so much. Again, it was really fun. And um, now I want to meet Gucci Mane. <laughs> yeah. that'll, be the name, nice. that'll be the name of the episode Gab Lamin wants to meet Gucci Mane <laughs> that'll, that'll be it <laughs> uh, amazing um, well, thank, thank you. you so much of course All right. man well that was a great episode I really enjoyed hearing what Gab's had to say with regards to what really are some of the traits that constitute a great artist what she's looking for in the artist she ends up signing how she ends up discovering these artists Tons of different gems now. What do you think, Jordan? Yeah, I think it's super inspiring also to hear from somebody who's fairly young, a fairly young executive in the game, because there's a lot of us. And I think there were a lot of people that aspire to be at that level as early as she's been able to do it. So, you know, super inspiring, super glad that we got to speak to her about her A&R process, especially because it obviously seems like she spent a lot of time on it because she was able to say it with such clarity. So um, really glad that we got her on, really glad that we were able to dive into her story. Uh, she's a very, fairly prominent person in the music industry. So I'm um, just super excited that we got her on. I think we asked uh, super, super good questions that people can learn from and, and she answered super well. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, thank you guys for all tuning in. Gabs, you the real MVP. Appreciate everybody involved. We'll be back next week. Thank you guys. <laughs>